help me different words to say, Lord, as we go through uh, the text tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide us as we uh, need to hear from you. That's why we're here tonight. And Lord, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter 13. And if you've been paying attention, uh, this is actually our third week in Matthew 13. This will be our last week in Matthew 13. And next week will be in Matthew 14. If you remember the first week we were in Matthew 13... We dealt with, in this chapter there are seven parables, and uh, the first week we dealt with uh, the, 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 the biggest and probably most well known of the parables, which was the parable of the sower. Remember the sower went out to sow seed, and he sowed in four different grounds, and we talked about that and broke that down, and it was easy because Jesus gave us the commentary later on in the chapter. Last week we dealt with the parable of the tares, and it was the same thing. It's one of those parables where Jesus actually later on goes on to explain what he meant by that parable. There are other parables in this passage which we're going to look at tonight. We're actually going to, tonight's going to be kind of just a real miscellaneous type night. We're just going to, because we dealt with those two major parables. So now we're going to deal with all the different verses that were kind of left off. So we can say that we hit every verse in Matthew 13 and move on next week to Matthew 14. There's a lot of good teaching here. But some of these parables, uh, Jesus doesn't explain for us what they mean. And and, and there's a reason for that. And I want you to see it. If you look at verse number 10, we've already dealt with the, uh, uh, the first nine verses and and some of the verses in between. So we're just going to kind of jump around and deal with the things we haven't dealt with. But I want to start off by talking about the purpose of the parables. What, What was the purpose for these parables? If you look at verse 10, the disciples said this, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? So they asked him a very specific question. Why are you teaching in parables? Now, my whole life, growing up, you know, in, in, in churches that I've been, I was, I was always taught that parables were, the, that Jesus just loved illustrations, and he did. And that Jesus was just the master communicator, and he was. And that Jesus chose to give these parables because it really showed just his talent and how he could show, you know, a spiritual truth using an earthly, you know, illustration, which is true. None of that is incorrect. But that is not the reason that Jesus uh, taught in parables. The Bible says, if you look at verse 10 again, notice the last part of verse 10, they ask him a very specific question. Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Verse 11, he says, he answered unto them, because it is given you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So he points at his disciples, he says, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Notice this though. But to them it is not given. He says, here's, they ask him, why do you speak in parables? He said, because I want you to understand, I want you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it is not given. He says, I don't want them to understand. Now, you know, when I read that, the first question that pops in my head is, well, how, how do you choose which one gets to be given the understanding of the mysteries and which one doesn't? And, and this is a text, by the way, that the Calvinists love to go to. The Calvinists teach that God chooses who He saves and who He doesn't save, and God chooses who goes to hell and you don't get a choice if you get saved because God forced you to get saved and if you go to hell you never have the option of salvation. They teach that babies die and go to hell. I mean it's a wicked religion. But they go to these passages where Jesus makes these statements and he says because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom but to them it is not given. So they say well see he wanted some to understand and some not. But look at verse 12. He says for whosoever the word for means because he says because whosoever had to him shall be given. So, the question is this. How, how does Jesus choose who he wants to know and understand and who he doesn't want to know and understand? And he says, whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not, 
to him shall be taken away, even that he has. And you need to understand this about Jesus Christ. Here's what he's trying to teach them and explain. He's saying God reveals more truth to those who accept prior truth. Do you understand that? He says, for whosoever hath. He said, he said, I've already explained some things, and some people grasped it. Some people took it. They accepted it. He said, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. And you need to understand this. Jesus is an investor. He invests in the lives of people. And he says, when I invest truth into you, if you acknowledge it, if you take it, if you act on it, he said, I'll reveal more truth to you. But if I give you truth, and you just forget about it, you just ignore it, you just don't, you reject it, he said, I'm not going to give you more. He says, I'm only going to give you what you, uh, what, what you work with. And he says, look, I'll reveal more truth as you accept more truth. Look at verse 13. Therefore. The word therefore means for this reason. He says, for this reason. Because I've given some truth, and some accepted it, some did something with it, some rejected it. He said, because of that reason, speak I to them in parables. Now notice this, because they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. Now keep your finger there in Matthew 13. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. It's Bible study night, so let's just actually get in here and study the Bible. Here he says, if there's a quote, he says, and it is fulfilled into the prophecy of Isaiah. So let's see the prophecy of Isaiah. And I want, you, I want to gather something out of here that I want you to understand. That is not a very popular teaching. People don't like to talk about this or, or acknowledge it in Scripture, but it is what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9, the Bible says this. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. Here's what he told the people. I want you to hear what I said, but I don't want you to understand it. See ye indeed, but perceive not. He said, I want you to see it, but I don't want you to have the perception, the understanding of what you're seeing. Verse 10. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. Now notice this. And convert and be healed. Now here's what he's saying, okay? He's saying, I want you to hear, but not understand. I want you to see, but not perceive. And he says, here's why I don't want you to understand and I don't want you to perceive. Because I don't want... Notice, last part verse 10. They see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Go back to Matthew 13. Look at what he, say, look at what he said in verse 15. Well, well look, at, look at verse... Let's just look at verse 13. Matthew 13, 13, Therefore speak I unto them in parables, because seeing, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in the midst of the prophecy of Isaiah, which say, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand. Seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. Verse 15, For this people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed. Notice this, less, the word less means unless. He says, unless, he said, I don't want, I want them to see, but not uh, perceive. I want them to hear, but not understand. He says, less, he says, unless, at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts notice and should be converted and I should heal them you see how that's the quote from Isaiah you gotta understand this this is what Jesus said they said why are you speaking parables he said because I'm a master communicator now he was the greatest communicator who ever lived. He was the greatest preacher who ever lived. Why do you 
because I have this ability to use these illustrations and these word pictures to help people understand. And he did. And he did do that. And he was that. And he was a great teacher. But you need to understand, the Bible says, they ask him, why do you teach in parables? And he said, because I want some people to understand and I want others to not understand. And he said, why do you not want them to understand? He says, lest they should be converted and they should be healed. you got to understand this. The Bible teaches us very clearly. There are some people that God does not want to save. You say, what? I thought God wanted everybody to be saved. You need to understand. The Bible teaches very clearly. The Spirit of God shall not always strive with man. And he'll give you truth, but if you reject it, and reject it, and reject it, and reject it, there comes a time where God says, you know what, I'll reject you. He said, I'll speak in ways that you don't understand. He said, I'll reveal it to my disciples, and I'll give it to those that I want to understand. But look, you can't walk away from this chapter and say that Jesus taught in parables because he was a master communicator. He was. But he very clearly is saying, look, look at what it says. I mean, look at verse uh, 15. Left... And any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts and should be converted and I should heal them. There, you say, does everybody get a chance to be saved? Every Pharisee had a chance to be saved the first time. But there comes a time when you reject God and reject God and reject God. And God, God he's an investor. He's not going to keep investing in something that's not going to produce anything. It's just the truth. It's the truth of Christianity. It's the truth of God. Well, I thought, I was told that God was like Santa Claus in heaven, and no matter what I did, he just, as, as much as I want to reject him, he's just, no, there comes a time when he walks away from the whole deal and he says, I'm done. He says, I'll, I'll speak in a way that you won't understand. He said, I'll teach in a parable. He said, I'll explain it to him. Now, now, the Calvinists like to take this verse and say, you know, they like to take it and say, well, see, he chooses. But notice, notice verse 15 again, okay? Here's the key. For this people's heart is wax gross. The word wax gross means they're full or they're fat. They're full of themselves. And if you remember, in, in, in Isaiah he said this people, he said the heart of this people is fat. Well, wax gross means the same thing. He says they're full of themselves. He said these people are full of themselves. Their ears are dull of hearing. Now here's a key word to understand this. And their eyes, notice, they have closed. Okay, so did God choose... To make them close their eyes? No, they close their eyes. You see that? They have closed. They rejected it. They said, I don't want to hear it. They said, Jesus, the Pharisees said, Jesus, we don't want to hear it. We don't believe you. We don't believe you're the Messiah. And he says, fine, I'll start preaching in parables and you won't understand anything. He said, I don't want you to say That's what the Bible teaches. And today people don't want to acknowledge that. And don't want to. The Bible teaches the doctrine of people... Look, once you're saved, you're always saved. You will never lose your salvation. But before somebody's saved, they can reject God, reject God, reject God. And there comes a point where they cross the line and God says, I'm going to reject you. And that's the reason all these beautiful parables and these books that people write and these series that people preach. The parables of Jesus. Why did he do it? Because he didn't want some people to understand. That's really the reason. And it's good for us to understand that because sometimes people go to parables and don't understand them. And and you think, well, why don't we understand it? Because Jesus didn't want us to understand everything. Look at verse 16. But, now those are the Pharisees, those are the people that have rejected him. He said, some people, they cross the line to where I don't want them to understand. He says, but blessed, this is such a powerful, these these couple verses are just, if you really sit down and think about what Jesus is saying, I mean, it'll it'll make you want to weep, really. He said, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear, for verily I say unto you, that many prophets 
and righteous men. You know all those people we've been talking about in Hebrews 11? Cain and Abel and uh, Enoch and Noah and Moses and Abraham and Samson and Jephthah and Barak and, and all those martyrs that gave their lives. Jesus says, look, for verily I say to you that many prophets and righteous men, notice, have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them. And to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Do you understand the great privilege that you and I have to be able to hold a Bible in our hands, and have the Word of God, and to be able to read it? You know that there's people that gave their lives, prophets that literally gave their lives, to give us the small amount of vision that they had, and they, they desired, I mean, they would have died to have the amount of truth that you and I have. And they were not able... Do you, you, you think that if Abraham... Do you think that if Moses... you think that if Enoch... you think that if these men... Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel... you think that if these men, you know, had what we have today... I mean, Jesus himself said that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. you think if they had the truth that we had, they'd go one day without reading their Bible? I mean, honestly, you think Moses would have just like, oh man, it's been a week since the last time I read the Bible. I've just been so busy watching TV. I mean, he says, these prophets, they desire to see the things that you and I just let go by the wayside. You think Moses, you think Noah, you think Abraham, you think Isaac, you think Jacob would have been skipping church on Wednesday night, skipping church on Sunday night. Well, you know, I'm watching Madlock tonight. Well, you know, there's something on TV. I mean, they, they would be like, wow, you get to come to church and get to learn about Jesus Christ, the life of the Messiah. You get to hear what He talked and what He preached. I'm not going to miss that. Man, I have such a desire for that. And you and I have it and just take it for granted. It's just whatever. I'm more busy on Facebook. I'm more interested with Twitter. I mean, Jesus said these men desire to see the things which you see. I'm just afraid that we're going we're gonna to get to heaven. A lot of us are going to get to heaven and, and not be able to look the face of some of these great men. They're going to say, so wait, wait a minute. You had the opportunity to go knock on people's door and nobody's known you? And you made it three times in your lifetime? What's wrong with you? I mean, I, I, look, I'm not going to want to talk to people. If I was a non-stoner, I'm not. You know, everybody says, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to meet Jesus. I can't wait to meet Paul. If I was a non-stoner, I wouldn't want to meet Paul. I wouldn't want to meet these great men that gave their lives to bring us the gospel and we were too lazy to serve God. Jesus said these men desire to see the things that you and I allow to collect dust on our counters. He said, why? And he said, look, you're not like the Pharisees. He said, you get to understand. You get to read the commentary. You get to see these things. Go down to verse 34. Just We go with the subject and we'll move on. Matthew 13, 34. He said, All these things spake Jesus unto them, unto the multitude in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. If you want to do the study, Psalm 78, 2 is the reference. We, don't, we won't turn there. Psalm 78, 2 is the reference. It says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings of old. Go to Matthew 13, look at verse 31. 
we got a lot of material to get through tonight. So let's look at, so that was just kind of the introduction dealing with why did he speak in parables. The first parable we're going to look at tonight is the parable of the grain of the mustard seed. Now some of these, two, a couple of these parables are two different parables, but they're one lesson, one teaching. And the first one we're going to look at is the parable of the grain of mustard seed and the leaven hid in the meal. And you'll see how these are connected. If you look at Matthew 13.31, these are small parables. Matthew 13.31 says, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, we don't have a commentary of Jesus explaining this parable for us, so we're going to do our best to try to understand it, but uh, look, I'm not going to tell you, this parable absolutely means this, I mean, I can tell you that with the... You know, the, the parable of the sower. I can tell you that with, uh, with the tares in the field. But these parables, Jesus just gave them. There's no commentary. So it's up for grabs, really, for what it could mean. But I'll give you a couple, a couple thoughts. Uh, keep your finger in Matthew 13. Go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Let me show you a parallel passage to the same parable. Mark chapter 4. Now, some people say that this parable... There, there are two main opinions for what this parable means, and I'll be honest with you, I don't agree with either one. Okay, so I'll tell you why I don't agree with them. I'll give you my opinion, and then you can uh, write me an email if you don't agree with me. That's fine. Ma- um, Matthew 13, or, or Mark 4, 30. Look what it says. And he said unto them, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh great, then all the herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So the first, you know, kind of view on this parable is that this grain of mustard seed is is the church. Now whenever anybody refers to the church, a red flag should go up, okay? And you say, why do you say that? Because we are local, independent church uh, believers, alright? There is no such thing as the church, you know? People like to teach today about the universal church, you know? And really, if the word Catholic means universal. The Catholic church is the universal church. But people like to talk about, you like, oh, you know, we're all part of the church. There's no such thing. The church, the word church means congregation. It means a called out assembly. So in order to be part of the church, you have to be meeting, congregating with other believers. There's no way that I right now am congregated with every believer in the world. Now one day there will be the church when God raptures every believer out of this world and we are all gathered together with Him in heaven. But for now, there's the Parity Baptist Church, which is congregating right now, and there's lots of other churches that are locally gathering in their places, but there's no such thing as the church. Alright, there's no, it, it, it just, it, it can't work because a church is local, a church is a congregation, it is believers uniting together. That's what a church is. So people like to say, this is a picture of the church. It started real small there in Jerusalem, but then it grew big and it encompassed the entire world and it's this great movement, okay? I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> because, you know, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that go there. So, you know, you know this, this idea that the church is just, look, half the people that are in the church aren't saved. 
Half the people that think, you know, they, they think they're Christians and they're not saved, they think they can lose their salvation, they think they have to repent of their sins, they think that, they, they think all sorts of weird things. So, is this the church? I don't believe it's the church, here's why. Notice Mark chapter 4 verse 30. And he said unto them, Whence shall we liken the, notice, kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. So did he say, I'm going to liken the church? Did he say, I'm going to liken the kingdom of God? No, he said, I'm going to liken the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you a comparison for it, and it's a grain of mustard uh, seed. The other idea, which I disagree with, for the same reason, is some people say, this is not natural. This is not the church, but really this is the church of the Antichrist. This is a bad movement. And they'll say, because the fowls of the air, or the birds of the air, get their nest in there. And if you remember the parable of the sower, remember when the seed fell on stony ground, the fowls of the air came and grabbed the seed, and then Jesus told us that the fowls of the air were Satan. So they'll say, see, these birds are Satan. But look, we got to be very careful. The Bible says that we need to study ourselves to show ourselves, a study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we need to be very careful taking, you know, the description of one parable and applying it to another parable when Jesus never said that, okay? So I'm not saying that doesn't work, from, you know, basically, like, the seed is always the Word of God, because there's other passages that tell us the seed is the Word of God all the time. But we need to be very careful to just kind of mesh these things together. So, you know, you say, well, why don't you think it's the Antichrist kingdom with all the fowls of the air in his tree and all these devils? Well, I don't think it's the Antichrist kingdom, because if you look at Mark chapter 4, verse 30 again, it says, He said, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? What is he talking about? The kingdom of God. It is like a grain of mustard seed. So, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Alright? He's not talking about the kingdom of the Antichrist. He's not talking about uh, the, the, the church. Alright? So, you know, the next question is, well, what do you think it is, Pastor Mass? I think it's the kingdom of God. <laughs> I know that's really difficult. And, you, you, you know, it's, you have to get a lot of degrees to be able to understand that. But when he says, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. I think it's just talking about the kingdom of God. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? Uh, you don't have to turn there. Luke 13, 18. Let me just read a parallel passage uh, from Luke. Luke 13, 18. Then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into, the, into his garden. And it grew and it waxed great. And the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Alright, so keep it. You're there in Mark 4. Right? Or Mark chapter 4. I just want you to notice this, okay? Verse 3. And he said, Whereunto shall we like and notice this? The kingdom of God. Alright, do you see that? Mark 4.30 says, The kingdom of God. If you want to look it up, you don't have to go there, but you can write this down. Luke 13.18 also calls it the kingdom of God. Go back to Matthew 13. I want to show you something just interesting. Matthew 13, look at verse 31, okay? Matthew 13, verse 31. Another parable spake he unto them, saying, Notice this. The kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? Okay. In Mark and Luke, it's the kingdom of God. In Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven. It's the same parable. So guess what? It's talking about the same kingdom. Today, there are people called dispensationalists. And they try to teach that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are two different kingdoms. They'll say the kingdom of heaven is the physical earthly kingdom of Israel. Now, how does that make sense? The kingdom of heaven is the earthly kingdom? That doesn't make sense already. But then, and they'll say the kingdom of God is the kingdom of, it's a spiritual kingdom. That would be like the Gentile believers. And these dispensationalists, they want to keep, you know, the Jews and Israel, they're Zionists. They want to keep Israel separated from the believers. 
Okay, but guess what? Jesus gave two parables, and in one it's the kingdom of heaven, and in the same parable, in a parallel passage, is the kingdom of God. The terms are used interchangeably because God is trying to teach us that it's the same kingdom. Guess what? The God of the Jews is the same God of the Gentiles. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. We're all the same. So, the ki- you say, well, what is it? Well, a, a kingdom is just the people that God rules over. He's the king. If he's your king, and he's ruling over you, then you're in the kingdom. So what's the kingdom? It's, it's the kingdom, the idea, go back to, we'll look at Matthew 13, 31. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. Now here's what you understand. The grain of mustard seed is used to exemplify something that's very small, very insignificant. Notice, which indeed, verse 32, is the least of all the seed, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among the earth, and becometh the tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches there. Ah, go to Matthew 17. Look at verse 20. Just real quickly. Matthew 17. Verse 20. We gotta, we gotta move quickly. We're almost done. Matt, we got, we got about 20 minutes. So we'll, we'll get as far as we can. And if, and if there's stuff we have to cut out, we'll do it. Matthew 17. Look at verse 20. Matthew 17, verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith, notice, as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So Jesus said, Look, if you had, a small amount of faith. And to make that example, he used this idea of a grain of mustard seed. So a grain of mustard seed is something that's very small. Something that's very insignificant. Alright? So we need to understand this. The kingdom of God starts with something very small, very insignificant, and it becomes very big. Alright? But there's another parable that goes hand in hand with this parable. Go back to Matthew 13. Look at verse 33. Matthew 13, verse 33. Matthew 13, verse 33 says, In other parables spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. So leaven is like yeast, and it grows. And he says, This woman put leaven, uh, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, and the whole was leaven. So we have these two ideas. Something small turns very big. Now, the grain of mustard seed always represents something insignificant, something very small. Leaven, kind of, when I was studying this out, it kind of threw me for a loop. Because leaven in the Bible always represents sin. Are you there in Matthew? Go to, go to uh, Matthew 16. Matthew 16, look at verse 6. Let me just show you these real quickly. Matthew 16, verse 6. Matthew 16, verse 6. Matthew 16, verse 6 says, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Skip down to verse 11. How is it that ye do not understand that I speak not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Look at verse 12. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. You see how Jesus equates leaven with the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the leaven of the Sadducees? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. we got to do this quickly because we got to be done in like 20 minutes, 15 minutes, something like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6. The Bible says, Your glorying is not good. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. They were glorying about sin. He said, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven, talking about sin, leaven it the whole lump, you let a little sin into the church, it's going to take over. Verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, 
It says, if you go back to Matthew 13, it says the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Now that's a little interesting because it's like leaven always represents sin. So why is the kingdom of heaven uh, represent sin? So what's the lesson? Here's, here's my idea. You come up with your own and, and, and that'll be good. But I believe that here's what this is teaching. We got two parables teaching the same thing. The kingdom of God, which is the, what God rules in, not just the church, but everything that he rules. The kingdom of God starts very minuscule, very small, very insignificant, like a grain of mustard seed. And like leaven, and it grows to something big. You say, well, what, what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, starts with something very insignificant that represents sin, because it starts with you and I. If you think about what the kingdom of God is, it's you and me. Right now, there is no temple, there is no uh, buildings that are the kingdom of God. And, and I believe what God is trying to teach us is, it starts with something insignificant, because it starts with me. And it starts with something that represents sin, because it starts with me. And even though it starts with something very small, something very weak, something very simple, He says, I'm going to take that and turn it into a great, huge kingdom that will eventually encompass the entire world. Aren't you thankful that God uses a sinner like me? And you? He says, I'm insignificant. God can use you. Well, I'm just like a grain of mustard seed. That's okay. He can get a big old tree out of a grain of mustard seed, which doesn't naturally produce a tree. He can get things out of you that you couldn't do for yourself. Oh, you say, well, I'm just leaven. But, but he said, I can, I can use leaven. He said, one day the leaven will be removed. But he said, I can, I can start with leaven. He said, I'll start with a grain of mustard seed. He said, I'll make it something great. Uh, so that's what I believe the parable uh, has to do with. Go to Matthew 13, look at verse 44. Let's get to the second uh, pair of parables. Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44. The Bible says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. So here we have a story of a man. He's walking through a field, and he looks down a, a hole, and he sees a treasure. He sees all this treasure, and he looks around, and he says, Nobody knows this treasure is here. And he goes out, and he sells everything he has to purchase the field, so that he can go... Uh, get, not because the field wasn't worth anything, but the treasure in the field was worth something. And he sold everything he had to purchase the field. Look at verse 45. Here's another parable, a parallel parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man, seeking a goodly, goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl a great price, and that's not talking about Mormonism, right? He says, when he had found one pearl a great price, went and notice this, sold all that he had and bought it. And we, we got to move quickly because I'm already running out of time. Here's, here's the point. You have a guy, he's in a field, the field's not worth much, but he sees something in the field that nobody else saw. He said, it's worth selling everything that I have to purchase this field. You have another guy who, who, who comes uh, across this, this merchant man seeking goodly pearls when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had. Now this has to do with the kingdom of God because he said, again, the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man. So what's the point? Here's the point. And, and, and you know, many Christians don't ever grasp this, but here's what Jesus is saying. You ever heard the term, when I was a kid growing up, we used to talk about, man, that guy is sold out. And it was a good thing. Like that guy sold out for Christianity. That lady sold out for Christianity. They got saved. It's kind of like we were talking about Moses on Sunday night. They got saved and they just bought into this thing. They, they got rid of all their old friends. They got rid of all their connections. They didn't care about anything. They, they sold all that they had because they saw the value in the field. And that's what he's, he's trying to teach. He said, look, the kingdom of God. He said, oh, for, on the outsider looking in, it just looks like a field. And on the 
there's treasure hidden in that field and there's a pearl of great price. And he said, if you would sell out, if you'd sell all that you have, he said, you could have that treasure. Amen. But he said, most people never sell out. That's a problem. Most people try to keep their connections, try to keep their old life. They try to, the Bible calls it this, being lukewarm. He said, I would not work cold or hot, but because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the, 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 the kingdom of God is something worth selling out for. Amen. The kingdom of God is something worth giving everything else you've ever had, selling it all to purchase this field. Because remember what we talked about on Sunday nights, the recompense is worth it. The compensation packet that God offers you, it's worth the sacrifice. Number three, Matthew 13, look at verse 47. Here's the last parable uh, that we'll look at tonight. And then we'll look at a few closing statements we'll be done. Matthew 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wedding and gnashing of teeth. What is this? Uh, the lessons here. here. Here's the lesson. Our job is to try to reach anyone and everyone. They cast a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. And especially in our independent fundamental Baptist movement, and I'm, I'm going to fight this tooth and nail till, till I die. I, I don't want this creeping into our church. But so many independent Baptist churches today get this holier-than-thou, hypocritical attitude where you look at people and you think they're not worth ministering to, they're not worth praying for, they're not worth spending time for. Look, it is not our job to try to figure out who would, will be the right catch or who would be the right person. God says, put a net out there, bring them all in, gather them of every kind, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. It doesn't matter what their economic stature is. It doesn't matter how much they are in their 401k. He says, gather them all, Look at verse 48, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down. And he said, well, you bring in a lot of people and they're not going to be saved and they're going to be false doctrine and they're going to send out emails. They're going to try to split your church. They're going to do this and they're going to do that. Okay, well, you know what? Let God deal with that. Right. That's what the parable, the parable of the tares was. Remember, let them both grow and let God deal with it. Amen. Remember the parable of the sower. He sowed the, the seed. He wasn't figuring out, well, where's the good ground? He just sowed the seed. He just put it out there. He just said, let's knock every door. Let's reach every person. Let's give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Let Amen. God deal with it. He said, just go. Our job is to go and bring them in. Look at Matthew 13. we got to finish up. Look at verse 51. We're, we're, we're done. We're almost done right here. We're, we'll look at a couple, a couple of thoughts and we'll be done. Matthew 13, 51. We're, we'll, have, we'll have hit every verse in this long chapter. So, that's good. Matthew 13, 51. Jesus said unto them, I think this is comical. I think this is funny. Because if you read the whole passage, I mean, he, he starts with the parable, you know, he starts with the parable of the sower. He gives this whole, you know, all these verses about why he speaks in parables. He doesn't want them to hear, doesn't want them to understand. He talks about the tares. He talks about, he goes through seven of these real interesting parables. And at the end of the whole thing, verse 51, Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. I think they were hungry. You know what I mean? They're like, they're like did, you, did you get everything? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> When's lunch? You know, uh, sure. You know, it's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you know, but they, I, I think it's just funny. Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe. Now here's, here's what's interesting. 
He says, Therefore, every scribe which is, which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto man that is an out of his holder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things, notice this, new and old. He's talking about a scribe. Remember, Ezra was a ready scribe. A scribe was a spiritual position, like a, like a ministry position. Their jobs were to write the word of God. They were to actually take copies of the word and write them. And that's how they preserved the Bible. And the people whose full-time job was to write the Word of God, probably knew the Word of God the best out of anybody. So they not only wrote the Word of God, they also ministered to people and they talked to people. And Jesus is talking about these people here. Look at verse 52. Then said He unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven. He says every scribe that is producing instruction and teaching the kingdom of heaven. He says, As like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things. Notice this phrase, new and old. Here's what he's saying. A teacher's job in the ministry is to teach things that are new and things that are old. Go to Philippians chapter 3. We're, we're almost done. Just look at this. Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Look what he says. To write, notice, to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous. But for you, it is safe. You know, you ought never get to the place where you think like, Oh, everything I hear at church, I've already heard that before. I don't need to hear it again. Jesus said, look, I'm teaching things that are new and things that are old. Paul said to write the same thing unto you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Every once in a while, you need to be reminded about things. You need to be re-taught. That's why, uh, roughly, once a year, I preach a sermon on almost every doctrine I can think of. Baptism, repent of your sins, everything. Because guess what? We don't, we don't get it all. Amen. And you may have heard it, but I don't mean you're doing it. So, he says, look, a good scribe teaches things that are new. We're going to give you something new. We're going to give you something you never heard. You're going to be like, well, but every once in a while, we need to just go back to the old paths and give you the old things. To write the same thing unto you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. So we need to be, you know, don't, these churches get themselves in trouble when they, they want every sermon to just be new material, you know, because guess what? At some point, you can't find anything else needed, you start making stuff up. <laughs> well, this parable, everybody's heard this parable. I know, I'll say it's the kingdom of the Antichrist. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, that sounds new, but um, it says it's the kingdom of God, okay? So let's just, every once in a while, you need to just be reminded of the old things, because Paul said it's safe for you. Uh, go back to Matthew 13, look at verse 53. We're going to finish up right here. Matthew 13, verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was coming to his own country, so he goes, he goes back to his hometown, his own country, he taught them in their synagogues, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph, Simon and Judas... Okay, right there. You know, the, the Catholics like to teach. Jesus, um, Mary was a perpetual virgin. She gave birth to Jesus. She was a virgin the rest of her life. Well, the Bible tells us here that Jesus had brethren, and their names were James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. 
Like verse 56. And his sisters. So he had four brothers and then he had sisters. We're not told uh, uh, the names of the sisters or how many he had. But we are told this. Are they not all with us? Notice the word all there. That tells us that there's at least three sisters. Because if there was two, they would have said, are they not both with us? You see what I'm saying? So he said, are they not all with us? So look, right there, we know that Jesus had at least, at least seven other siblings. So was, was Mary a perpetual virgin? No. She had other children. But notice, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Verse 57. And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them. So he goes to his hometown. He preaches. They're astonished. They're like, whoa. How does he know all these things? Look at all these mighty works. And they said, we know he's a carpenter's son. And we know Mary. And we know his four brothers. And we know his sister. And and, and, you know, what's going on here? And Jesus explains to us what's going on. Verse 57. And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, notice, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and his own house. Here's what he's saying. A prophet preaches anywhere they want. And everybody gives them honor. Wow, that's amazing. Man, I've never heard that before. Or I heard that before, but I need to hear that again. Or man, that was great. But when a prophet goes to his own house in his own country, here's the point. The more people know you, the less they're going to listen to you. And that's the truth. You know, you can be this great preacher. All these people come out and hear you. And your own family will just be like, whatever. Okay, so don't get discouraged. When you try to give the gospel to your family and they don't want to hear you, it's normal. They don't want to hear Jesus either. And by the way, but you know, his, his, his brothers did, after his death, burial, and resurrection, they did convert to Christianity. They rejected him while he was alive. But you know, Judas wrote the book of Jude. James wrote the book of James. You know, these men did convert. And, and you know, I heard somebody say this. That's like the greatest proof of the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ referring to the fact that Jesus was God. Because today people teach that Jesus wasn't God. But, you know, the, the, great, the greatest proof that he really was God is that he convinced his brothers that he was God. I mean, what would it take for you to convince your brother that you're God? You know what I mean? I mean, that'd be impossible. And the fact that Jesus was able to convince his brothers that he was God proves that he had to have been God. You know, uh, look at verse uh, 58. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. God can only do as much work as your faith will allow him to. And he's, he says, look, you people don't want to believe on me? He said, you know, he did, he did not many mighty works. He did do some works and some did believe. But he did not many mighty works uh, because of their unbelief. So that's Matthew chapter 13. And let's go ahead and bow our heads and we'll have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be able to just go verse by verse, studying scripture and uh, looking at it in its context. Not coming to it with a preconceived idea, but allowing your word to be its own commentary and Lord, I pray that you just help us as we study your word, as we continue to study your word. Thank you for these dear people. I pray that you would uh, bless them, Lord, as we uh, look at your Bible, as we look at this passage. Father, we love you. I pray that you would uh, bless the rest of the week, the soul winning, and all those things to come. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.